Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone and welcome to today's Journey podcast. We are your hosts Cav Dadford and Jordan Banks and we are delighted to be joined by Australian photographer Malcolm Fackender. Malcolm, hello and welcome. Oh, good evening guys. How are you doing? It's nice and late for you over there so thank you for joining us. Oh, it's not too bad. It's, I'm a photographer so um, it's uh, 20 to 10 in the night and um, this is early. <laughs> great, great. Well, it's great to have you with us. Like, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and share your thoughts on photography and the business and industry and everything. So uh, I guess, like, the best way to kick it off is just tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? How did you get into photography? You know, what's your story, really? Tell us, please. Okay, so um, as per introduction, my name's Malcolm Fackender. Um, I would classify myself as a uh, travel photographer from Sydney, um, one who doesn't particularly specialise in any singular genre. Um, I would say I'm a travel photographer in the true sense of the word is that I love to travel and I love to photograph the things that I see and experience when I do travel. Uh, I classify myself as a jack of all trades, uh, but master of none. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, there are things that I, I'm strong at and there are other things that I'm continually um, growing with. Uh, my photography interests uh, go back all the way to when I was 13 years old. I, um, I grew up in a family that loved the outdoors and we, we spent a lot of time going camping, um, not in just with my direct family, but with, uh, with relatives. And um, we were very active um, doing a number of things. But one of those things that we, we did um, was photography. My father and my uncle uh, very keen bird photographers and you know so a big part of our our travels was to go out and go and explore and and, and find birds to photograph that and, sounds like a super cool uh super cool uh chuck bringing to get to go and do that obviously that sounds like great obviously getting a good start in photography and getting to just go out and do that with a camera without sounds yeah like a really cool experience 
yes, an opportunity. Was, yes, it was it was cool. Um, I will say this that the, you know it was a, a was a little bit more sort of complicated than probably what a lot of uh, listeners will think. Um, it wasn't just a matter of walking around with a a long lens and and um, and stalking. It never birds. is. Yeah. Um, in our case, you know, we had hides, we had scaffolding. Um, we would set up scaffolding up to 10 metres high and set up a build a hide on the top of it and climb up and sit in these hides for hours on end um, to photograph these birds. So it was, a, it, was a, it was, you know, it was a dedication to say the least. Um, my interests, however, were probably a little bit more broader than that. Um, I had a very strong interest in macro and close-up photography as well. Um, so... By the end of, um, I guess, high school years, I actually had some success. I'd won a gold medal in photographic competition. And my, my ambition at that point of time was to, to join the Royal Australian Air Force as a photographer. And um, unfortunately, that wasn't to be um, for reasons we won't go into. But uh, it, was, it was so disheartening at the time that I literally walked away from photography for about 15 years. And, so what age um, was that that you walked away from? Sorry. Oh, probably, oh, probably about 18 years old. Oh, okay. So you had quite a big yeah. gap in your sort of early adult yeah. years then before you... Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah. So it was interesting. It was around the year 2000. And to be honest, I didn't even have a happy snap camera. That's how bad it was. And then one day I just woke up and I thought, I really need to get myself a camera. And um, I spoke to my father and I said, well, you know, I want to get back into photography. What are all the nature photographies using that, you know, and, and of course, I'd, originally I was using Olympus. Um, and of course, I've, it's, I, I invested in a Nikon camera. Was this during film periods, or were you? This was this was this was still film period. Um, Yeah, I I think probably the very first sort of prototypes for digital were starting to come out. Yeah, so yeah, okay. Uh, So you had there was still ten thousand pounds for sort of a three megapixel (laughs) camera or whatever it was. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I I soon realised I'd made a mistake and I'd bought the wrong gear, and um, of course, I then was I had I was bitten by the photography bug. And, um, and I think one of the things I did then is that I'm not really a competitive a photographer by nature, but I set myself some personal goals. And one of those was that I wanted to win some awards in the first year that I got back into it. And um, I did that. I won some, some medals. That's and, great. Uh, and, um, and then sort of like shifted on from there. I mean, I was, at that point of time, I was still very much uh, uh, a wildlife, a, a nature photographer um, doing birds and, and, um, and, and close-up work. Um, and then I just continued to grow. Uh, and then it wasn't until 2004 that I went overseas and sort of became interested in travel. So how long was the sort of the travel transition from wildlife before from when you sort of picked up the camera, like you say, that again, after the gap of 15 years, how long before you sort of left or transitioned more into the travel? How was that a year or two? Or oh, probably, no, probably about, it was about four years. Oh, right. so yeah, a fair amount of time. Yeah. So, so essentially yeah. what happened was I went to Vietnam um, I did the typical um, travel, sat on a bus, got frustrated with, um, <laughs> with watching all these amazing scenes pass by. And I essentially came home and I said to my father, you want to come to Vietnam with me for a year, uh, a month, uh, next year? And, uh, and um, I said, I'll, I'll organise it. We'll put something together for, for the sole purpose of photography. And, um, and that's sort of really when I transitioned into more of a travel photographer. Oh, that's great. And is your, is your dad... Like he was still photographing at this stage. He was still taking yes. pictures as well. Or yeah. Yes, it. yes, and still does to this day. Okay, fantastic. And is he gone towards the travel side at all? Or is he a mixture like you are, or is he stuck with more wildlife predominantly? 
No, he still mainly does his birds. He'll, he, um, he would go away for maybe six or seven weeks uh, every year and just for the sole purpose of, of um, uh, bird photography, but has done a lot of travel within Australia. So that, of course, involved a bit of landscape work and so forth, but uh, yeah. um, hasn't sort of really done the travel that I have. No, fair enough. Uh, I think what you made a really good point there that I picked up from that, like the sort of earlier on, you were talking about the dedication of it, not just being a matter of walking around with a long lens and, you know, you're going to pick up these great shots. And obviously that's the same goes for the wide angles or any sort of lenses you use, I assume, for your, in your experience. It's not just a matter of click and get it right. So right. I think that was, yeah, that's really interesting to hear that I'm a big believer in that. And I believe Cav is as well. You sort of feel that way, don't you, when you talk to people and teach people and things like that. So yeah, absolutely. I guess then I think I think one one thing that um, is interesting, especially with bird photography, is we get a lot of people asking us questions. And I think bird photography it requires the same dedication as any other type of photography in that you have to be actually, you know, know what you're looking for and then be patient enough to wait for that moment. And that moment might be days. So, yeah, really, really yes. interesting. Yeah. Yes. So I guess leading on from that, like what you'd sort of, as you just talked about there, you sort of, you'd gone into Vietnam and you'd obviously started to sort of think of this as a career, I suppose. That was a start of you thinking to make money well, out of this. Is that well, correct? That's, a, or? That's, a, that, that's an interesting uh, question. Um, when I was in Vietnam with my father in 2006, um, it didn't take me long to realise during the trip that I actually really enjoyed the, the, the networking, the planning, the research. I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, you've got to understand, I went from somebody who's, who, who'd only done a very, a little bit of, a little amount of travel, travel before that. I'd been to the US on an organised thing, and that was about it, to actually going to a country like Vietnam and being independent, being able to do exactly what I wanted when I wanted. Yeah. So it was partway through that tour that, um, and, and by the time um, I got on that tour, I actually had my first digital camera. So the whole restraints of film were gone so i was able to go there and just shoot to my heart's content i think i returned yeah. from a month's trip with something like eighteen thousand photographs that transition and, gets a life a lot easier doesn't it from the film yeah, to yeah. digital it's something like wow this isn't costing me a fortune i can see results i can yeah yes. you know and, and shoot more freely that's correct and um yeah there was a there was a moment during the tour that really um, was an eye opener and i was sitting in a in a cafe in the central highlands of vietnam um it was stifling hot so my father and i were probably having a cool beer and we're just sitting there and talking talking away and walking down the road is an elephant with a local on its back and you know i was just like what the what on earth is going on here running outside where's where's this elephant come from and um you know so I gathered up our local guide and our driver and I said, look, where did they go to? And he said, well, we'll go down and have a look. So we went down to the lake. Uh, this is a place called Luck Lake. And, um, and I'm looking at the lake and then I just said to the person, I said, so that elephant just comes down here and walks across the lake to the village on the other side? And he goes, yes. And I asked him the question. I said, well, if I came here with a group of photographers, could I get that elephant to hang around this lake in sunset? Because the sunset's just going to be over to our left here. He goes, oh, not a problem. And that's where the whole idea of running a photographic tour started. And from then on in the tour, everywhere I went, I had this in the back of my mind. So uh, you've you got to understand, back in 2000, this is back in, um, in 2006. Back in 2006, yeah. there were very, very few uh, photographic tours. Um, yeah, I know. I, mean, uh, I know I travel a lot. I was, both of us were traveling at that time, but you, you're right. You didn't see the tours and stuff at all. Right. We'd be going out to the world and these places were, you know, it was just the few photographers and around them. 
Yeah. I think what I, I just struck me that I love the fact that your big break kind of came from an elephant though as well. Like that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I think one of the things, and and you, you you guys can both probably relate to this, was that when I was traveling, I realized that there are things that you see during travel that you can probably guarantee that everybody's going to see. And yet there are other things that you just have to be there at the right time at the right place. Couldn't agree and, more. That's totally true. Yeah. That was and, my and experience what, anyway. Yeah. And one of the things I realized was that, well, part of the part of being a photographer is actually understanding when is the right time and where is the right place. But the other side of it is, is that we can't physically be at a destination for all seasons of the year. So when I was in a place like Hoi An in the middle of Vietnam, um, I, I know I, know I had no preparation for this. I was on this bridge, and then all of a sudden, all these big um, square-shaped fishing nets came out of the water, and I'm going, "Oh my goodness, this is just amazing!" And my father and I were photographing to our heart's content. You know, thousands of images we took in like an hour. Um, yeah. I had, I, it was so crazy. I had lenses just sitting on the side of the bridge. I'd change the lens and leave it sitting there, run up the end of the bridge and take photograph and come back and get my lens. Not and, thinking about uh, the editing process at all there. You're just no. away and then you and, regret it and, later. And, and then what I realised was that depending on what time of the year you were there would, would determine whether you were going to see those fishing nets or not. So then I course, thought, well, yeah. what about if I actually met the person who owns this fishing net? And, um, and lo and behold, I did that. So going forward, um, I, I had the idea of actually running to it. Well, it was a dream at that time, to be honest with you. But it was a dream based on the fact that I'm going to take people somewhere to give them an experience. But also, I want to have some control to be able to actually demonstrate traditional behaviours. Okay? Yeah. Um, I think and, and, and it's a little bit different. It's you know we could say it's staging. It is staging, and I would say that probably in general, a lot of photography now has got to the point where it's so staged that it's actually unnatural. Um, yeah. But but what I was trying to do at that point of time and is is to stage something that actually really happens. And uh, so then when I came back to Australia, um, it was so in, it was interesting. People were in the photography world. Um, and what I didn't mention before, I was heavily involved with the, the camera club scene in in Australia. Um, and they'd all known I'd been there. So I, st I started getting uh, requests to come and present about Vietnam. And I prepared about 20 sort of five-minute audio visuals, um, highlighting my images. And then I would show yeah. a section of Vietnam, talk about it, show a section, rather than have everyone fall asleep for an hour and a half. Um, of I course, the last thing you want. <laughs> I did a lot of talking. And what really surprised me was that a lot of people afterwards were coming up to me and saying, oh, are you going to go back to Vietnam? We'd love to go with you. That's a great start into it as well. Like yes. just not almost falling into it. So you That's start right. to, you, so you, I, I love the idea of what you're doing, sort of getting people to get the right moments. And obviously you appreciate the fact that you need to get people in those spaces at the right time. It's not, again, going back to what you sort of said, I guess, about the birds. It's not just a matter yeah. of turning up and getting it. So I think that's yes. really great. Did, did you sort of, were you interested in the, like the teaching side of it as well, sort of much at this stage? Or was it more okay, okay. Well, look, really I think, guiding I think, or... Look, I think they go hand in hand, but I will make something very clear. And I say I'm, I'm up front with, with, about this with all my all the photographers who travel with me. And I say to them that this is not a, a photographic workshop for two weeks. This is a photographic yeah. tour. And they are very so different. By, that, by because, that, you mean you're not going to get loads of, in, loads of tuition necessarily. You might get what you want, whereas you can exactly. just be 
Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I have I have a expectation that people already know how to operate their cameras. Um, and I pretty much say that in my information package that you are expected to be able to operate your camera. Um, yeah. But in saying that, my role is, a, and again, I wear many hats. I'm not only the tool leader or manager, I'm also the photography leader. Um, so I have to wear both hats. And of course, you know, depending on the group of people that are traveling with you, that, that, that tour manager hat could be a big part of the tour. Um, or if you have a very easy group, you know, your, your tour manager's hat's, you know, hidden in the yeah, bus Yeah, of course. You, you've got um, to be prepared and, for every occasion, I guess, haven't you? You've exactly, got to have, exactly. Or every situation. You don't know who, you, you know, you can do all the prep in the world, but until you actually meet someone face-to-face, you can't always tell exactly how that's it's right. going to go, you know, what they that's are right. like in person. So that's, yeah, yeah that's really so, interesting so, to hear. So, so essentially, um, but I have to wear the photographer's hat. And what I say to people is I am here to guide you through the photographic process. Now, that'll that what that means depends on the destination, depends on what we're doing. You know, totally. so for example, so for example, if we talk about Namibia, for example, um, we we go to an amazing place called the Dead Flay, which involves you know a, a one hour drive from the lodge, then probably a thirty to forty minutes walk over the small sand dunes into this this um, this clay pan, and when you get in there. You, you realize that this clay pan is much larger than you can possibly imagine. And, and I just say to people in advance, I'll, I'll pull people together for a meeting the day before, and I say, look, I cannot physically run around and chase you all around this clay pan. It's so big. Um, I will, And hot, I, will I get, assume, as well. <laughs> well, no, it's not that hot, but I said, oh, okay. I'll, get, I'll get stretched out. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so what I do in that situation is the night before I'll actually sit down there and I'll explain to them what they're expected, what they're going to can expect to see. And I'll show them uh, example images that I've taken and say, well, this is what I want you to look for. I want you to look at the shadows. I want to look, watch, watch the, how the shadow drifts across the sand dune as the sun comes down. I want you to sort of put your body in the shadow. So I'll give them a whole heap of examples in advance. So, so that's really they, practical information that they can use it, on exactly, the day and it's safe while at the same time managing expectations, I guess, so that people don't yeah. expect you to be running around and also still get what they want and produce exactly. the images that they're expecting to. Yeah, that's that right. seems and that it, seems like a very smart way to do it. And, and yet and yet, there'll be another part of it is that, you know, uh, a lot of my tours have a very strong people photography element in them where um, I'll have to have more control, you know, so, so I might have some artificial lighting in use and I might have to say to people, okay, look, this is what I'm doing here. I'm going to put this light source here. Um, I'm going to create these shadows. Um, this is what I want you to set your camera up at. And I'll explain sort of things through it and then talk them through the process. And then, of course, yeah. there's, there's a review in that as well. So, you know, we're going to, uh, in the case of Namibia, we photograph the Himba people and, you know, I will set everything up. People will be shooting away. I'll get my shots in amongst them every now and then. But the most important thing for me wow. is to actually go up to each person, have a look at the back of the screen and say, yep, you've got it. Or, you know, yeah, you great. need to be moving a little bit to the left or to the right to actually um, get that better pose. Um, so they're, they're all a little bit different. Um, and you know, of course, they're, all, yeah. they're, they're all equally hard. I mean, a tool like Iceland is relatively easy because um, it's landscape and, you know, photographers go all over the place. But you go to a destination like India where you're walking the streets and you've got people to photograph, it actually becomes really logistically challenging. Yeah, just trying to keep track of everyone, I guess, as well. Just trying to keep track well. of, you know, one other person <laughs> in India with you is quite hard in the, you know, the busy areas. So I'd imagine yeah, you know, a group of 10 or 12 or 8 or whatever it is is going to be quite tough. I think that's, uh, I'm just going to move this on along a little bit. I think we just, you know, just to keep it moving and just, I think that's really interesting what we've done, but I, I think we'd like to hear about how 
um, COVID has maybe affected that. And, you know, what did you do to keep busy when obviously the world shut down and, you know, leading on into how, you know, maybe we got, you got involved with Journey and that sort of thing. So taking okay. in a different direction, to be honest. Yes. That's cool with you. Yes, you know, yeah, you could, So how it affected you, I guess. And um, Okay, well, I guess yeah, to start you, off, start off with i was actually um overseas in chile when the pandemic really hit um i was i, I, I would probably say that up front that in the early phases um I, I i was watching it um i was very mindful of it um but i really wasn't prepared for it, the world to shut down the way it did um so i was no, i, I definitely actually, wasn't so I think we spoke before with Cav as well. Like uh, yeah. my predictions were very, very off. We had a bit of a laugh um, at that earlier, didn't we? I mean, in Australia, only like two weeks before I flew to, well, might have even been less than two weeks, might have even been the week before I flew to Chile, our prime minister was on the on the media saying, "Oh, it's no different to the flu." Yeah. You know, so, so, so on one one as one side, I was actually being very mindful of it, and I was actually, I was actually doing a risk assessment of all the destinations I had planned for 2020. And yeah. I decided that destinations like India were going to be a high risk and would be cancelled. But then so I this had was other before you, you worked this out on your own, what you thought, was that the case? Yes. Or you just yes. researched so before, it? Yeah, just a, yes, a logical yes. decision. So, logical decision. So, for yes. example, Namibia is very remote. Um, I was in Chile to go to Atacama Desert. It doesn't get much more remote than Atacama Desert no. or, the, or, the, or, the, or the Plano's of Bolivia. So I was, I, I made a decision, and of course this is in consultation with all the people who travelled with me, I made yeah. the decision that um, uh, that these areas were deemed safe because of their remoteness. And it was yeah. probably a, a smart way to do it. I still think now, even next year, when, when travel does open up, these destinations are going to be appealing because, you know, like uh, Namibia is very remote, so you're not going to encounter many people, um, you know, where you get in India, you're surrounded by thousands and thousands. Of, of course, yeah. So, so we flew over, and lo and behold, while we're on our flight over to Chile, the Australian government closes its borders. So, what you and, found yourself stuck in? Well, in no, the no, no. Or... They, they, they essentially said we're not going to be re accepting international tourists, and everyone that comes to Australia needs to go into two weeks of quarantine. Okay. And I thought, and I thought, all right, that's okay. I can do two weeks at home quarantine, not a problem. But the problem we had was we arrived in Chile and the next day Chile closed its borders, which then meant we were unable to go to Bolivia. Okay, so, so, so worst places to a, be stuck than yeah, Chile. Yeah. But. <laughs> so, so, then, so then it was a scramble about, well, what do we do? And so, the, so what I did was I, I planned everything in Chile. I had to make some adjustments because things like national parks were closed and everything like that. Um, but we were still able to do the Chile, Chilean part of the tour um, and then it was a matter of me trying to get everybody back home. And um, thankfully, I got everyone back home. And, um, <laughs> and, and, it only and it only cost me one additional night accommodation in Santiago. So that all worked out fine. Interestingly, the tour was amazing in Chile. We couldn't do some of the things, but because there were no tourists around, uh, all the wildlife was coming up to the road. So there were some aspects that were so much better. Um, yeah. And other aspects, it was, it was a bit concerning because what was happening while we we're there, it, things were progressively starting to shut down. So I think if, put it this way, if I was there a week earlier, I wouldn't have got out of Bolivia. And if I was there a little bit later, I would have had different challenges. But we got back to Australia, and of course, I did two weeks of quarantine and um, and did some some macro photography in in my um, my office studio. 
and um, and then sort of like everything sort of went into a, what I would call the Groundhog Day. Yeah, of course, yeah. but the world right. wasn't it the same? Yeah, yes, and 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 what a lot of people don't know is I have a young family. I have a you know at that point of time I had a a three year old son um, and a ten year old son and everyone was stuck at home my wife was working from home so I went from being a person who was bogged down in his business all the time to a person who was bogged down being Mr Mum yeah so quite and, a change uh, for you a bit it of was that thing going on it, it was tried quite a change um and it was quite challenging because um you know, I literally uh, couldn't do anything from from sort of seven thirty in the morning till eight thirty at night. I was just literally busy, um, yeah, looking after children. And um, you know, homeschooling hasn't been such an issue for my eldest boy, but my little boy, it was like constant attention. And yeah, pulling sort of, up hair. Yeah, and then and then I sort of got to eight thirty at night, and then I was like, oh, I'm just so tired. I don't want to go to my computer. So I literally sort of shut off. I will say this: I shut off. So you kind of had a sabbatical, if we want, if we're a forced sabbatical. I'll I'll tell you how bad it is. Um, In March, sorry, in May, I did a Zoom talk on macro photography in my studio. And I had all my camera gear out on on this bench and everything was set up. That was in May. And in September, I came in and packed it all up. Yeah, like, wow, that's, my, that's not what we my, want to hear, but... Um, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but, uh, so, so, but, but by then, um, you know, we'd started to open up here. Um, we yeah. had a little bit of freedom around Sydney. I actually started to get out and do a bit of photography. Um, you know, so I started to sort of get um, inspired again. And, um, the, you know, it was just a big unknown. What do you do? And yeah. the problem in Australia is that, you know, we, we, I just joked about this to many people was that I said, you know, Australia was colonized as a prison island and we're now back being a prison island anymore. We can't go anywhere. And um, that was I think I've biggest... heard that analogy before from people over in Australia on maybe Facebook yeah. or maybe I've seen on your Facebook or other people. Obviously, I've got a lot of friends who live over in Australia from school and that sort of thing. So, yes. That's, and, yeah, and, that's... That, and that's the feeling you had. You're sort of like, well, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Um, and then you sort of got a glimmer of light and then those goalposts would move and then you'd sort of walk up, go away a bit and then you'd come back and then there'd be a glimmer of light and then it would go, and then it, they, they, those goalposts would be moved again. And um, I, I think- Hopefully Journey was a glimmer of light there for you, hopefully. Oh, you're we're going to get on moving on that. Because I, mean, I, I want to talk <laughs> about that as well, obviously, and how you got involved in that or what or more really what made, what wanted you to get in, but what made you want to get involved in it? So when, you know, when obviously, you know, I don't know if everyone knows, but obviously me and Cav approached you and we asked if you could do something and if you'd be interested in doing something. So that's just a quick cap for anyone listening to this of how you got involved. But what, what made you go, yeah, I do want to do this. Was it purely the time or was it actually, the, no, you know, this is no. a great project? And No, I, look, to be honest with you, I think it was a great project. And I will say this up front. I'm not a person that sits down and reads a lot of magazines and so forth, but I used to subscribe to Australian Geographic. So I like to read things that you know they're more of a story and sort of gave me an insight into whether it be a wildlife or a destination or so forth so it's that side of it but you know the other I think the most important thing is that I've been very fortunate to have traveled extensively for 18 years and take hundreds of thousands of photographs and those photographs are my stories now in that time I've seen so many things experienced so many things but there's one thing I always say in all my talks and that is change is inevitable. 
And I've seen it in I've seen it in Vietnam. I've seen it in Myanmar. I've seen it in Namibia, where I've gone and I have this really strong interest in meeting the different cultures, and not only understanding it. Some cases, like in Vietnam, I actually buy some of the traditional clothes, and I have a a wardrobe here with a minute. That's Um, really interesting you said it. One of my next questions actually was, what made you like when you were pitching ideas? You know, to us, it makes it sound a bit more official when we say pitch because it was. Obviously, at this stage of journey, it was a bit more relaxed and it was, you know, it was not quite an entity yet. But obviously, everyone who's seen Journey and hopefully those that are going to see it, I mean, your story, your piece, your feature on uh, Namibia is incredible. And I think sort of sums in quite well. You're sort of telling stories and what you said there. And yes. so did that come when you were pitching? I know you put a few ideas to it. Like, what, what's, what were you trying to do? What was your sort of thinking behind it from your side of it, knowing this is a new project and not really... You know, where did your head go? What was your headspace, I guess, is what I'm well, getting well, at. What made you really sort of go with Namibia, I guess? Or well, obviously we sort of selected Namibia because I think there was a few, wasn't there? But um, Sorry, I keep interrupting yeah, you there, but I'm trying to get... Go ahead, fine. sorry. That's fine. I mean, look, I think the first thing is that you go, you want to write about something that you're really passionate about. And, um, you know, Vietnam is has been probably... Uh, is really close to my heart for many reasons, but Namibia is probably my favourite destination in the world. Um then you've got the other side of it is that you meet all these amazing people. And it's not just a matter of going and meeting these people. Um, you want to gain an understanding of these people and their cultures. And, you know, so I felt personally that actually doing a, a, um, a story about the, the people in northern Namibia um, was, was an amazing opportunity because what I've noticed, I've, I've visited five times these villages you know, since 2013, and what I've noticed is the slow change that's occurring in the village and, you know, from having yeah. power available to people leaving the village and moving into town. So I, I saw that the, the, these cultures were very much at a crossroads and I've seen the same thing in Vietnam as well. In Vietnam, you know, you see a lot of the traditional people, they don't wear their traditional clothes anymore. Um, and, you know, some of them lose it completely, some of it then only use it, wear it for weddings and so forth. So I thought this was a very important thing to tell because it's easy for me to show a photograph of a person um, wearing their traditional costume. Um, and that will tell many people, uh, many people a story, but yeah. then to have a little bit insight into the background of it and how things are changing um, is a whole different take on it. And I think that's yeah. really important. I think, like I think I said you really before, got that across well in the photos as well, which obviously you've been working on. It sounds like you sort of had this story in mind of what you were doing maybe a long time before Journey was even a thing. It was that you've been, obviously, yeah. like you say, four or five times you've been. And I think it's it's really interesting to see the way you've taken those photographs and, you know, you do feel more, or I personally, anyway, I'm sure I know from the, you know, words that everyone else has given us a feedback and that everyone else feels very connected with what you shot there. And they're like, wow, right. this is really a, a different take on your sort of traditional, what they, what they would expect when they see the headline, I guess. I think that's what I'm getting at. So uh, let, let me just, let me just uh, say a story. The first time I went to Namibia and I met the, these people, I was, I was a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest. Uh, I didn't know where I could go with my photography or where I could go with communicating with them. The second yeah. time I went there uh, was a very different experience. This is an hour later. And, and again, this is sort of give you an insight of where I'm coming from, because it really is an emotive story. I, I went there and I was talking to the wife of the chief and I asked her, I said, can you please, through a translator, of course, can you please sit yeah. in your, your, your heart and show me and my, and, my, and my group here how you perfume your body? And she was more than happy to, to show me. 
And yeah, then when, okay. we, when, I, when I was in the hut with her, she asked me, she says, why do you want to see me perfume my body? Why do you want to take photos of this? And I turned around and I said, because I want the world to understand how you live. I want the world yeah, to understand what you do. It it's shows a lot more detail, about, doesn't it? It's not, you're not just exactly, a, a, exactly. you know, dressed in sort of your clothes and your tribe. It's like, what, what, what's your life about, isn't it? More than yes. just, hey, this is a person, there's no real connection to us. Like, I, yeah, I like uh, that way of thinking. I mean, that's the way I and, shoot. And the, I think Cav probably the same. When we, you're yes. shooting Cav, you think like that, trying to tell people's personal stories and the way they live yes. and the way they interact with the world. So. I, and I think the most touching thing was that she then thanked me. Amazing. And I see now, I nearly fell over. And I've, and, I, and I've had these experiences in a number of countries with a number of different people. And, um, and I think to me, you know, I can take great photographs, I can tell these stories, but for me to have that sort of connection with somebody, um, that, that can't be replaced. That's just so special. No, it's a human element, isn't it? It's really, you're yes. connecting with people more than just photographs now. It's like almost becoming friends or you've become, made a connection, a human element. Yes. I think. Yeah, exactly. Do you, um, have you ever shown these people the pictures? You go, I'm assuming you go back and you've seen some of them before uh, actually, or is that not actually, always possible? Yeah. Back in uh, 2019, 2019, I went there with a big pile of prints. Oh, that's awesome. And, and they were um, impressed by those, I assume? Yes. Yes, yeah, good. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's that's it's been superb listening back at that actually because it's kind of just uh brought back some memories of, of the start of all this when when me and uh Jordan and uh you Malcolm we were talking about ideas you had for Journey. Um, yes, the, the one thing I was interested in asking you is obviously at the start when we were discussing this, you had a couple of ideas one which was around Vietnam and one which was obviously around Namibia. Yes, what what made you sort of think about the actual story? What made you kind of pitch those particular stories to us rather than, you know, from your travels, you've got hundreds of thousands of images. What made you choose those two as the, as the ones you wanted to pitch to us? Well, I guess in the case of North Vietnam, and I, I will be upfront here and say that I am regarded as an expert in, in Vietnam, particularly the North. Um, you know, Vietnam, in addition to the Vietnamese people, have 53 different ethnic groups. And, uh, and, you know, so one of the things that I would love to do, I mean, if I had more time to go to Vietnam, I'd love to go around and meet all these different groups and, and, and see their costumes and photograph them. So this is something that I took on as a personal journey. And, and um, you know, so, and I think the same thing that sort of applied with Namibia. I can't say that the Himba are obviously more well-known than, than sort of some of the ethnic groups in Vietnam, uh, especially in the remote areas. Um, but not a lot of the tours actually go there. So when you look at photographic tours that go to Namibia, I would say 85% of them don't have anything to do with the, the tribal people in the north of the country. They're, they're no, I'd never actually, they were totally new to me, those images. Yeah. I hadn't, I was expecting some when I heard, you know, when I saw the pitch original, read the pitch, yeah. I was expecting so, a certain thing and got a very, or got hot, a very different angle, which was amazing yeah. to see, like so, the picture so, editor's so, point of view. So, so, I guess apart from that, what I wanted to do was, look, I wanted to sort of show people that, you know, Namibia is an amazing destination, but, you know, there's something there that's neglected uh, by a lot of the tour companies that to me is on par or even much more amazing than anything else, than the wildlife, than the landscapes. Yeah, because you know, you know the the the, the lay uh, and the and the Namib Desert has been there for millions of years. But you know what? The, yeah, in, in another in another hundred years, these people are going to be very different. Yeah, 
you know so i think that was from that was where i really wanted to take this story and and bring an element of a destination to the to the readers that may not be known um you really I, I you of, definitely achieved that in my opinion i think yes. i don't know what Cap, well, a, i know cab feels the same it's really come across in a totally different fresh manner like i say yes. that, i mean I and, think, and i'll be up i'll be up front now I'm, I'm sort of already toying with the idea now of 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 doing one on the tattooed women of me and Martha, my next next uh, journey magazine. <laughs> and, I can't um, wait to see that. That sounds good. Yeah, and and you know, and that's equally important because the tattooing of their faces was banned, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So we know that in the next 10, 20 years, we'll never see that again. So I yeah, think that will die out, won't really... it, I guess, like you're saying. Exactly, it will exactly. become a thing so, of the past. And ex exactly. So these, that's the sort of story these... journey wants as well, is to get yes. those things Im immortalised, I guess, for the future generations it... that maybe won't realise this was going on or was happening that's in right. parts of the world when they, you know, get into their older years. Exactly. Um, that's amazing. So, go on, sorry, Kev, you go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I think I think um, absolutely agree in that the, the thing that certainly grabbed our attention was that sort of slightly different look and feel um, of your photos as well as your story. Um, so, you know, you've obviously got this very sort of stylized look of the portraits that you take. How did you go about taking those? You know, did you set those up before or did you kind of put them together while you were there in the villages? Okay. So I guess as a photographer, um, and let's be more specific, as a photographer who specialises in photographic tours, my goal is to present the best photographic opportunities that I can. And another part of that is not reproducing the same thing over and over. So on my tour, we dedicate, dedicate two full days um, in Apuvo to, to meet and photograph these, these people. And, you know, so what I did, we've got the, the, the Himba, the Herrero and the Zemba. And, uh, you know, there, there were a couple of things that came to play. So initially in the first uh, tour, um, was in 2013, we, we went and did a morning visit to a Himba village. And, uh, you know, it was amazing watching this village wake up and, the, and the milking the goats and, and, and feeding the children porridge and so forth. Um, and then we would have another visit to a Himba village another day, which was a whole different, um, it was like the same thing, but just at the other end of the day uh, at a different village. Um, then in addition that we had the Zemba village and the, and the Herrero village. And I walked away and I thought, well, you know, maybe we can do something a little bit different. What I really want to do is I really want to get some beautiful portraits of, of, the, of the Himba women because they really are the most iconic of the groups in Namibia. You know, if anyone's going to recognise the, the, the tribal people in Namibia, it's going to be the Himba. So um, I spoke with, and I will say this, is that for a number of my tours in Namibia, I didn't even have a guide. I was the guide until I got to Apuvo where I hired a local specialist because I needed somebody who could actually get me access to these villages and can more importantly communicate with them because it's not just a matter of going up there and pulling off the side of the road and visiting the villages. We go shopping and we buy bags of flour and oil and soup base and all these sorts of things. And we actually go in there and we go in there and we actually speak to the chief and actually get permission and offer them a gift to be able to go into these villages. That's so, amazing that you do that and you go the extra mile. You don't just sort yeah. of, you know, you don't just use them as subjects you can come and take photo of. They are people, obviously, after all, exactly. like you say. And you're really making trying to make it, you know, we're coming here, we want to experience your way of life and help out and give back, yeah. basically. That's a, yeah, it's a really great so, ethos to look at it. Yeah, so, so essentially I decided that on the second visit, I wanted to do something a little bit more controlled. 
And the idea was, well, we're going to have an outdoor studio. So um, I, I just communicated with my local guide. We got some aluminium framework and we have some black material and we just literally set up a black backdrop. And um, what probably a lot of people don't know is everywhere I travel in the world, I have a couple of very powerful constant LED lights in my luggage bag and they're all battery yeah, powered. You wouldn't, and, you wouldn't know that. It looks like a lot more, well, I wouldn't have known you had lights just in the photos. And yeah. Just the pinning up the back, background is quite a, so simple, yeah. but so effective. Yeah. Like that's a really that's right. interesting so, tool. So, so, so essentially, I have um, a couple of um, constant LED lights. I set them up, and what I've learned over the years, and I've, I haven't done it both ways. I've tried using um, speed lights and, and 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 so forth, but you know, then you start getting problems with you know you've got to have enough triggers, and you've got lights recycling, and then some cameras don't communicate properly. And I just found that it was just so much easier to set up constant LED light turn around, give everybody the camera settings. Everyone can shoot to their heart's content from any position. Um, they're not interrupting each other. You know, yes, there might be a little bit of, you know, can you look at this person? Can you look at that person? So that's how we do it. And, um, and then what I do is, um, you know, I'm literally controlling things. As I said before, I'm getting my shots in between. Um, I will go and bring another person in. You know, so I might bring a, an elderly woman in. I might bring a young child in. I might bring a mother and a child in. Um, and then what I'm doing is I'm actually going around and I'm just saying to everybody, can I have a look at your photographs? Are you getting it? And then I'll give them some direction and saying, well, I want you to do this and go from there. So what it does is it produces consistent results and, um, and, and you know, it makes my life easier, so much easier. Fantastic. So, so it's a that's whole so, That's so interesting to really hear how you've done that and how you talk us through that and that process. I think for anyone listening who's especially, you know, starting out or not been to these places and wants to sort of learn how you can get these little simple tricks, I think that you've used that are actually relatively simple and maybe people overthink it. I think that's really useful. So yeah. I've just got a couple of last questions that we want to do before we wrap it up. And uh, if you can do them, like, you know, just, a couple we're sort of going to ask everyone so uh, uh first one is going to be uh have you got any quick tips for anyone looking to break into the photography business or editorial photography business or you know what what we you know quickly wrap it up what would you sort of say would be your top tip or top tips if you had any okay i'll say a couple of things i think first and foremost um you have to have a passion for it because you know doing this sort of job um it is a significant investment of time and if, you, if you're really not passionate about it, um, you're really going to struggle with it. Um, secondly, you know, you've got to understand the brief. If, you know, if somebody's given you a brief to shoot to, then you really need to make sure that you understand that brief. Um, if you're, you know, if you've got your own brief, then understand what the, what the, the intended viewer is going to want to see in, in what you're photographing. But I think in today's modern world, the most important thing is, is go out there and get the, the cliche shots that everyone else has got. But the most important thing is go out there and try and be unique and do something different. And I think this is so very important in the modern world because, um, you know, in the past we had all these iconic photographers that we, that we followed and we aspired to be like. But I often ask the question, would those people that, we, that were so, so um, amazing, you know, 30 years ago, would they stand out in the crowd today? And the answer is probably no, because there's so no, many I think ama amazing photographers out there. I think we so, are, I ask that sort of question a lot to myself and to groups when I do talks and I'm pretty sure Cav does. So I think yeah. that that's really good advice. I like the fact that you said that, you know, that's good advice that you've got to have a passion. But, obviously that's the first yeah. thing. And, so, and you know, understanding. Be yeah. Yeah. And looking for something totally different that I know from a journey point of view, again, with Cav and myself, we want to see uniqueness. We, you know, we've all seen the Eiffel tower. We've all seen even the classic 
shots of Sisuzle, you know, we, we want to see the uniqueness, the different stories that people aren't telling over and over again, which is yeah. great. So, Cav, have you got anything yeah, you want I think, to wrap up um, with? couldn't agree more with what you said Malcolm um so this is this is kind of my favorite question to ask everyone right now and 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 I guess um the reason is that it's always a surprising answer but if you could only travel to one place uh, for the rest of your life if you only had to choose one what would it be Malcolm <laughs> uh, it's funny you ask that because I, I I had this discussion with my wife tonight at the dinner table um look uh, my wife's Vietnamese, um, and as much as I'd like to say that I, would, I could go to Vietnam um, every year uh, for the rest of my life, uh, I, um, I have a love for Namibia. And I think one of the reasons why I have such a great love for Namibia is that it's, apart from the wildlife, it's very much like Australia. Uh, they drive on the same side of the road as us. It's dry. Um, you have similar sort of communities. It's just the wildlife's different. Um, but I think the thing that I love so much about Namibia is the variety. You know, when you go to somewhere like Iceland, um, it's all landscape, 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 landscape. But you go to Namibia and, you, you know, there's just so much variety. You've got the, the wildlife, you've got the landscapes, you've got the people photography, you've got, you know, derelict um, towns. Um, you know, there's just so much variety. And I think if there was one destination that I could just continue to go back to, it, it would be Namibia. A proper fantastic. travel photographer's location that by the sounds of it <laughs> yes yes fantastic and uh yeah i mean i i, I think um that's why namibia is such a perfect destination for photographers and if uh, if anyone wants to travel to namibia uh, malcolm will be running a photo tour there in 2022 uh, you can get full details uh on the bits and pieces that is, are below this podcast um just wanted to say thank you, Malcolm, for joining us. Uh, it's been an You're absolute welcome. pleasure and we've thoroughly enjoyed having you. And I hope that uh, all of you have enjoyed listening to, to us ramble on for 40 minutes. Um, you can, of course, see Malcolm's wonderful photo essay and uh, words in the issue one of Journey. It really is a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, again, thank you for everyone joining us and we hope you join us again soon for the next edition of the Journey podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.